This is Brian Cohn with the Work For It podcast, and I just want to let you know before we get into the show that this episode is going to be significantly different than the normal show. I'm doing an interview with Bob Rankin, and there will be talk about self-harm and other topics like that. So if you are specifically sensitive to that type of topic, maybe this is a show to miss. Um, Feel free to go ahead and check out other shows, but I just want to give you guys a heads up beforehand that there are some really heavy topics that are going to happen in this show, and I want you to be prepared for that. That all being said, and with no further ado, this is my interview with Bob Rankin. Hey, this is Brian Cohn of B. Cohn Knives, and this is an interview with the one and only Bob Rankin. First of all, Bob, I want to say thank you so much for sitting down with me, and I want to give you my deepest condolences for everything that's happened. Well, I appreciate your time and your generosity for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get into everything, I just want to let you introduce yourself. Tell me about your business and tell me about what's going on, you know, recently. I mean, obviously what happened, but before then, I'm sure you have projects going on and all that fun stuff. So my name is Bob Rankin. I'm a custom knife maker from Michigan. I've been making knives since 2017. Uh, I really enjoy making Damascus. That's what got me into it is the idea of doing that. And um, I've enjoyed the knife making community so much since then. That's truly my favorite part of it. Yeah, the knife making community is by far one of the most welcoming communities out there. I've always truly enjoyed inner, inner like talking with people, being able to interact with them. And um, so is there is there something going on that really pulls your heartstrings at before? Of course, bef- I'm sure you've had a lot of condolences and a lot of things happened recently. But before then, is there any sort of story of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the community did this? I, I think that it's um, along the lines of just true friendship and brotherhood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Grown men that tell each other they love them because they're the brothers, you know, and sisters. And it's just a very tight community that are always there to help each other, to help bring new people into it and, and just enjoy each other's company. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bob, I've always been a big fan of your Damascus. I don't know why I haven't pulled the trigger on one of your bars, but every time I've seen some, either seen one of your bars or seen someone who's used your bars, it's it's always quite amazing how clean your Damascus is. And honestly, I'm a fellow Michigander. Why am I not, you know, keeping it within the state, you know? <laughs> well, I'm not sure why I haven't seen yet one of my hammer-ins yet. That's my, that's my question. We'll go ahead and fix that as soon as possible. <laughs> do you do the uh, hammer-ins often? I try to do them once a year, uh, usually in April. I wasn't able to do it this year. The few years before that, I was able to. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to get everybody together, eat some good food, tell some good stories, and just uh, hang out. How does your – I've never actually been to a proper hammer-in before. How does that How does that go from the planning side of things because you're hosting? For me, um, being as I just have my small garage, you know, it's just been uh, open house style where people come and whatever we want to do, we make or talk or fire up the forge and then just grill some food and just, just an open house type deal. And that's another thing where, you know, you're building community for, 
you know, especially with local hammer-ins, you're, you're finding, I imagine you're, you're finding a lot of people in your area that maybe you didn't know about. Definitely. And it's been very nice making some of the best friends I've ever had doing that and, uh, bringing a group of friends together from doing that. And, um, we really enjoy each other's company. Let's go ahead and talk about what got you into knife making in the first place. It's it, you've obviously been around for at least a little while. Um, what was the first spark? Can, can you maybe tell me about the first time that you decided to make a knife? I decided to make the steel before I decided to make a knife. And just like everybody else, you know, that got into it around the same time I did it. Um, it was obviously forged in fire and then watching Alex steel on the internet and seeing that what people could do out of their garages and thinking to myself, I could do that. So one day at work, um, we were slow and the guy I was working with, I looked at him and said, I'm going to build a forge today. And he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And that's where it all started. <laughs> where, where are you, where were you working before? I still do. I, I work for a utility here in Michigan, uh, electric utility. Oh, nice. Nice. So when, when things go out around here, I can blame you then is it's what it sounds no, like. I'm, I work in the plants, not the, um, uh, the line side of it. So you're, you're not a lineman. Okay. Gotcha, right. Gotcha. If, if I'm not busy, that means the plant's running. So I'm doing okay. <laughs> now, how often do things go wrong? Stuff is always breaking. That's just the way of it. And we just fix it and keep things running. Sure. Sure. So what is it about, um, making Damascus? Like, I mean, obviously it's, it's very beautiful and it's, it's a skill that takes a, a solid long while to really master. Um, tell me about the first time that you made, obviously the first couple, they're, they're going to be rudimentary or things are going to go wrong, but maybe tell me about the first time that you finished a bar of Damascus and you thought like, oh my gosh, this is ready for someone that, you know, could do this professionally to take this on. Well, uh, I ruined a lot of steel to start with. Um, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> and then I hammered out my first little billet, seven layer billet by hand and got it to stick and made myself a little shop knife. I still use, it's a hideous little thing, <laughs> but, um, then I decided to build, I, I needed a press. So I decided to build my press and, uh, I actually probably started selling knives before I was ready to, cause I had a coworker that wanted one from, from my antler handle. So, and, uh, it's just got busy since then, you know? Sure. Tell me about the press build. That's all I've seen a couple of people build their own homemade presses. Um, were there many options when you were deciding to build the press, like to, you know, go out and buy it like at coal iron or a couple other different places? I didn't really know where to find them. I had found coal iron and, um, my, my, my press is similar to theirs. It's just like any other C-shaped press. Sure. The, the dyes and stuff are different, but um, I enjoyed building my equipment. I built my first, I built my forge. I still use the same forge. It's had a lot of different, uh, changes. I built my press. I've built two frames for it. Now the first one was H beam that wasn't strong enough. Now it's one inch plate and I built my first grinder and PID in my, um, toaster oven and stuff like that. So I, I enjoy building the equipment to solve problems too. Sure, sure. And I, I imagine a lot of that comes with the tendency from your job working at the, uh, I'm not sure what to call it, electric factory? Is, is that power the plant. term? <laughs> power plant. Okay, yeah. there it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously working at the power plant, you're constantly fixing things. So you're, you're 
you took a lot of those skills and were able to apply it to your hobby, which has kind of exploded on you. Well, I've been an industrial welder my whole adult life. Uh, I was a pipe fitter for 10 years, pipe fitter welder for 10 years, and we did equipment repair and stuff also. And I've been with the power company for 18 years. So um, it was in my wheelhouse to, to build this stuff myself. Did you have a lot of maker influences growing up? Like, you know, tell me about the first time that, you know, growing up, you decided, I want this thing, whether it's a toy or a sword or a whatever. I mean, tell me about the first time that you, you looked at a project and you thought, I'm going to make that and you made it. You know, I really, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think a lot of things in life were just from necessity, either not having the money Sure. Or not want to try to pay somebody, whether it's fixing a car or fixing the house, or um, I guess honestly, my one of the first times I guess I remember as an adult was my wife wanted a computer, so I had to figure out how to put one together out of a box of parts because I couldn't afford to buy her one. There you go. That's a whole different type of you know building. Um, having built a couple of computers myself, I know how intimidating it can be when you open up a box and you have a bunch of parts and you have to put them together just in the right order. And it was a little different back then too. It was all used parts. My buddy got me from work and it was a lot more intense trying to find the drivers and stuff like that than it is now. And then of course you have compatibility issues. Oh my gosh, there's so many pitfalls with <laughs> computer building. It was fun though. We uh, That was back before really the internet sales were popular and the, the kids and I, my my daughter was a baby. My son was little, you know, because he's five years older than her and We'd go to the computer show together on the weekends when my wife was working, and it was a lot of fun. Sure. And, you know, it can also, like you, like you just said, it can be a lot of fun, and it can turn into a very enjoyable hobby, if not a very expensive hobby. Well, it definitely can get expensive. Now, do you still have, do you still build computers on the regular, or is that just something you did in the past? I just, I, when I want, when I get, I don't know, every once in a while, I just get the um, desire to work, and once when I build one. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just can continuously upgrade and upgrade and upgrade. And it's kind of like that thought process of, you know, if you have a ship and you replace every single part on the ship right down to the every plank, is it even the same ship anymore? <laughs> it might be the same case, but they're definitely not usually the same computer. There it is. There it is. So let's talk about a little bit of what's going on. Obviously, you know, you had one hell of a tragedy befall your family. Um, so there are opportunities for the listeners out there to contribute. Um, there is a raffle that is being put on. And, you know, Chad and Dennis put together this really great, great knife set. Um, you can go ahead and listen at the end of the show. There'll be about 20 minutes of us talking about it. So go ahead and wait till then to really hear all of the intricacies of that. But I just love the fact that they were able to see what happens and put something together to try to do whatever they can to help. And it's just absolutely amazing to me. And it's extraordinarily generous. And uh, myself and my family are truly grateful to the community for all the support and love that we've gotten through this hard time. Sure, sure. Um, you you told me right before the show that there is another opportunity if people want to contribute um, about a GoFundMe going on? Uh, yeah, my daughter put together a GoFundMe. We decided to find some small charities and uh, things that were important to him and things that are important to me. 
Um, sure. So um, one of them is that uh, while he was away from home, he uh, adopted two cats from a cat cafe in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, his social media is full of those two cats. He loved them to the moon and back. So uh, we're trying to raise some money for them. Uh, we're trying to raise money for uh, Black Horse Forge, which is a veteran assistance program where it brings people in the community blacksmithing, knife making and stuff. And Warrior Way also does the same thing. Sure, sure. That's really cool. Um, you know, those cat cafes, it's one of those things where if you go to one of those and you're even remotely thinking about getting a cat, you're leaving with a cat. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's probably accurate. And uh, when he had come home, I told him, I said, I really didn't want any more cats, but I'll take the cats if I can have you. Sure. Wow. Nice. Um, has he always loved cats or did, did he always love cats growing up? Uh, we got a cat when he was little, Jasperg, and he, uh, he got, he was 18 a few years ago and uh, he passed away and we had his dog Maggie that, uh, he grew up with, but yeah, he's always been an animal lover, very tender hearted, loving person. That sounds about right. Um, <laughs> from everything that I've heard, he's, he seems like he was a very kind person. Um, uh, it's not very often. I don't think that as a parent that your kid's your hero, um, oh. At uh, 17, almost 18, he enlisted in the Navy. Wow. And uh, we had to sign the paper so that he could be on his inactive reserve time. And then the October after he graduated, uh, he went and joined the Navy. He, uh, he, was, he took welding also in high school for two years, and he came home one day and said that he wanted to join the Navy, which I said, well, let's go talk to a recruiter because he always talked about joining the Army. Mm. And, and he had told the recruiter, you know, I, I want to uh, – I want to weld for the Navy. That's how he thought he was going to go into the Navy. And he tested so well in the ASFAB. The recruiter says, I can get you a welding job, no problem. Or I can offer you any program we have because you test it so well. So he went in the Navy as electronic technician, Navy nuclear. Wow. So. He sounds like he was very instrumental in where he was within the Navy. So that's that's really quite amazing. Talk to me a little bit about the conversation. Did you have any sort of pushback when he wanted to enlist? I've always tried to support my kids when they make sense, and he was always super smart. So, but I don't think college was in his future. And I think he wanted to um, get out on his own and do his own thing, which I respected. And uh, so I guess I was just happy he wasn't going to be kicking indoors. Sure, sure. But I mean, of course, wherever you go, there's going to be stressors and there's going to be, you know, quite a bit of intense whatever is going on. We, Did you? Oh, go ahead. We didn't understand that at the time. Um, he had two years of schooling to start with. He had A school and then nuclear school and then prototype, which is like a hands-on where they have two permanently moored subs where they actually run reactors in them. Um, wow. We really didn't understand what he signed up for ourselves until we went to his nuclear school graduation and we listened to the admiral talk or the, the captain of he was a navy naval aviator that sure. wanted to become a captain of a carrier so he had to go through nuclear school oh, wow and, and he said that he was more intimidated of navy nuclear school than he was of landing on a carrier at night oh my goodness yeah it's a very hard program is extraordinarily demanding and uh it, uh, one of his, 
fellow sailors to explain to me that they are the top 1% of the top 1%. It sounds like Bobby would have fit right in there, though. It uh, seems like he must have been in his element. He, being the person that he was, um, when he left the Navy, he was a petty officer first class. Um, so he was in charge of people. And he spent the last two years in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, teaching Navy nuclear prototype. Sure, sure. Makes sense. And it sounds like all the people that have reached out to me because I asked for stories of them because we didn't get a chance to hear them, you know. Okay. And uh, he was an amazing man. He helped people's lives and touched people's lives. And so I have a book of stories of him. And, and how he affected other people. Wow. that It has to make you feel so incredibly proud as his father to know that he was able to do so good for so many people. Well, one of the things I've said since my children become adults is that's one of the proudest things in my life is that not only everybody loves their children, and you know, but that I actually like my children as people and, and enjoy being around them. And appreciate who they are, you know, as a human being and as an adult and how they interact with the world. I, both of my children, I'm, I'm so extraordinarily proud of them. That that has to be one hell of a feeling. That has to be so good. That, you know, it's it must be fulfilling that when, the, when they were able to affect, they were able to affect in the greatest form. And that's that's all you can hope for, right? Yeah, and it's and it's tough in this world. Because at the same time that, that they do those things, it also hurts them sometimes, I think, when mm. they, they see it's not reciprocated a lot of the times. Sure, sure. And, you know, not, not to bring that upon or bring the conversation back to us, but, you know, a lot of times I know I'm sure you get the same, you know, reaction when you feel like you've made this really great bar of Damascus and you send it out to somebody and you don't hear from the person. Like, you know, for me personally, when I make a knife and I send it, send it off and then, you know, it's just, it's sent, you know, as much time and effort you put into what you're making, you don't really get that return gratification of, you know, hey, you did a good job. Do you feel, do you feel like you get that a little bit when you send out Damascus? Uh, you know, it took a little while to understand it because if you look at it logically in the world, if they're not happy that you're going to know about it. That's so true. that's very true. Hearing nothing sometimes I suppose is um, just as good as a compliment. That is a great way to think about that for sure. But then you also have the people that um, when you hand deliver a knife or you see what they make with it. Um, I've had uh, like Rocco made a knife out of some of my Damascus. He made it in blade magazine and stuff. So wow. Uh, um, that, that was a, a very happy moment for me last year at Blade Show. Sure. Um, I, I, I see, I was over at Rocco's table, and he was over talking with Noah Vachon and uh, Ed from Edward Knives, and all three of those guys, completely different styles. I don't know if you're familiar with the three of them or not. You know, a folder maker, a uh, skaggle maker, and a kitchen knife maker walking to a bar type of thing, you know. <laughs> but um, they've all used my steel, and they've nice. all made amazing knives with my steel. And now they're all friends from using my steel. So I, I, I really enjoy that part of it. That's really cool. 
Yeah. And it's it's those weird things that you would never imagine that your steel would be in so many different aspects. I'm sure your steel has been used for things outside of knife making. Is is there anything in particular that has jumped out at you? You know, not that I I can think of right off the top of my head. My I'm not firing on all cylinders right now, so <laughs> sure. sure, that makes sense. That makes but sense. But I really enjoy seeing people make things that I wouldn't make because it's it's just not my style or uh, I would never think of it. So I've really, really enjoyed watching other people and seeing what they do with my steel. Absolutely. So speaking of blade show, um, you know, there was one hell of a thing that happened with this year blade show because it was supposed to be your first time having a table and you could not go. Yeah, I, I couldn't make it. Um, and I have, like I said, I have some amazing friends, uh, Chad and Rocco and Eric and, Nico and Lucas and many other people helped uh, run my table for me so that I still had my table at Blade Show and um, uh, that meant a lot and I they, they wrote stories and well wishes in a book to me and people I, did, I didn't get to see and um, so I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful for people taking the time to do that for me and uh, I'm going to be back next year. That's awesome and you know Obviously, there are times in our lives when we're knocked down, but it's it's okay to be down and it's okay to, you know, gather yourself back up, but it's getting back up that is truly important. And it's, it's really good to me. It feels good in my soul to know that you are already planning your ascent. Well, I didn't have a choice. Um, you know, I do what I do in my garage and I don't think much of it. And I don't realize that people know who I am. And I don't realize that I have a little bit of reach to help other people. But when I very rapidly realized that, it, I decided right then that I have to do something to try to either help prevent this from another family dealing with this stuff or to try to help another family that might not know that they're not alone. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that you would say to somebody who is struggling with this type of a, a loss or these types of thoughts? Um, you're not alone. Um, there are people out there that care, and you have to be willing to reach out to them. I mean, I, I so I guess I, I should probably tell everybody um, what, what's going on, but I'm going to tell you about my son just a little bit first. Please do. So, uh, and, and, our, and our things that we've done together since he's been an adult. So I flew to Pearl Harbor and uh, after his first deployment in I uh, did what was called Tiger Cruise with him. So uh, I flew up to Pearl Harbor and brought his boat, the Carl Vinson, back to San Diego with him. So there was like 500 of us, and they, you get to kind of roam around the ship, and they do air shows and all that stuff. But those type of things, getting to see him um, right after his deployment and spend time with him, you know, are always going to mean the world to me. Sure. And then uh, when he... Because uh, of COVID and stuff, last he didn't get to come home a lot. He was stuck in Washington by himself. Well, he had a room, he had an amazing roommate, Daniel, and his wife, and uh, his uh, one of his ex girlfriends, Letha, that he lived with. So I was glad he had family out there because we couldn't get to see him because they, they were kind of quarantined and all that stuff. Makes sense. So um, when it came time to him to transfer back to Charleston, uh, I flew to San Diego, and him and I packed up everything he could fit into his Dodge Challenger and road trip down Route 66 and came back to Michigan together. Nice. So 
So those, those are the memories that I'm holding on to that mean everything to me. Sure. Um, that's the type of relationship we had. I, I always tried to be there for him and just let him know that he wasn't alone, even though when he was away from home. Sure, sure. So he got out of the Navy and came home at the beginning of May. And um, uh, on May 23rd, I think it was, I'd, I'd have to look it up, he posted his DD-214, which was his discharge papers, uh, from the Navy. So he had been home just uh, right around three weeks. And on the evening of May 25th, um, he took his own life. And uh, the best way I can describe that, I could go back and replay that day a hundred times. And if I had to bet between aliens landing on my front lawn or what happened happened, I would bet on the aliens every single time. Um, knowing that he was coming out of the service stuff, I, I was watching to, to try to look for any signs of depression. Sure. And uh, we didn't see any. He was making plans with friends. He was making plans with family. He was happy. He had a, a good job lined up. And uh, the, that day, he had gone grocery shopping in the afternoon. He was planning on cooking the next day. Um, that night, I, I was the big push to finish to get ready for Blade Show. I came down to the kitchen after I took a shower, and he was in the kitchen with my wife laughing and joking and texting with his sister who had just left that morning uh, to go visit a friend and uh showing me the text he's joking with her smiling we went to bed and 45 minutes later he's gone mm. and uh we've gotten no ideas from his social media his computer his phone his friends ex-girlfriends people he lived with um nobody could believe what happened so and so we have no idea what was bothering him it was like one person went to bed and another person woke up. So that's the hard part to understand and to try to to try to make any sense of. Obviously, I'm in no way, you know, qualified or, you know, I feel like an outsider, but I truly believe that no matter what, you just I mean there's nothing you could have done. There's nothing, there's no, like you said, there's no signs, there's no indication. And you, you are obviously one hell of a father. Um, it's, it, it always seems like it's the person that you would never expect. Well, I hope that I, I was a good dad. And, um, I think that he, he knew that he loved us. He loved his sister. Um, he loved his friends and, uh, there's just no explaining it, you know, and uh, it's the world is it is definitely the world's loss to, um, yeah. for him not to be in it. So um, it's just one of those things that uh, we have to try to find a way forward and to try to for me, I have to I feel a responsibility to try to help some other people like I explained before in any way that I can. And there's so many different ways that you can help through, you know, Project 22, which I believe is a big portion of the raffle knife going towards. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit of what goes on with Project 22 and maybe some of the symbolism with it? Well, from what I understand, um, the average is 22 service member or veterans take their lives a day, which is an astronomical number. And from what I understand, is actually higher than that right now. Um, we have to understand that it's not just the combat veterans that are suffering from this, that um, it's also the life and death stress that these young people are put under day in and day out with the crazy watches and uh, just the crazy shifts that they work. And a lot of times, unfortunately, piss poor leadership in a lot of cases. Um, one of my friends, son's friends was telling me that somebody they had in charge there in his division, what their motto was that perfection is expected. Excellence is accepted on a case by case basis. Mm. And then the type of person that that is gets fired a couple months later because they weren't following the rules. So you end up with a lot of that do as I say, not as I do, and just the demanding. From what I understand, they, they build these young people up that they need the Navy, and then when they're done with them, they're done with them. It is, it is definitely a systemic issue. And a lot of, no matter where you look, there's going to be systemic, systemic issues, big or small. Obviously, this is a very, very large um, Maybe maybe this is the time to pivot to, um, t maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, when did you feel proud? Like, let, let's, let's maybe pivot to something where we can talk about a positive aspect with Bobby. When's, can you tell me something growing up when, when you had that spark of, oh my gosh, that's my kid, I can't believe I raised that son? That, that list is endless, um, yeah. nearly daily. Just the kindness he showed people, um, his willingness to try to help people. He, uh, he was always uh, like with his roommates and stuff, he, he was always so open to their families and their needs and he's always been selfless. Sure. Probably to a fault, you know, to a point where people can take advantage of them. But, you know, um, I guess that uh, one of the proudest things for me is just getting to see him daily, how he treated his sister mm. and how much he cared for her. Tell me about that relationship. Uh, they were five years apart. She's younger. Um, but uh, especially as adults, they've always been close. She would go visit him. And spend time with them, and he would uh, take her around to wherever he lived, whether it was San Diego or Charleston. Um, she never got to go out to Washington because of COVID, but right. um, they, uh, when my wife and daughter went down to uh, Universal, he met them there. So that there was always that, um, you know, one of our things our family games and stuff. We enjoy that type of stuff. We always enjoy laughing with each other and joking and harassing and that type of stuff. I know in the Navy there is a large propensity for, you know, bunkmates or friends or people within the same group. Excuse me, I, I don't really know the terminology all that well. <laughs> but 
there there's always like you know inside jokes and pranks and stuff like that did he ever tell you about any sort of you know antics that they got up into that, that unfortunately it took a while to get him to open up about anything he didn't like to talk about himself a lot mm. um but uh he i know that there was a lot of like one of his he loved leonard Ketty, kenny so that um they uh they threw a party for him with that theme and uh so i guess that that helped a lot of them but yeah they the nukes have a different sense of humor yeah well i mean it's it's obviously it's a much more high stress you know situation you can't just be screwing around for sure um tell me about he obviously went through naval boot camp you know, did he ever did he ever tell you about the things that he went through to make it through naval boot camp, and maybe a little bit about what graduation was like? Well, that was his start to the navy. He, he's always had kind of crummy luck. I've always kind of had like the little things in life crummy luck. So it started for him at Meps when he went to take his final ASVAB and physical. He ate bad tacos the night before and gave himself oh, no. food poisoning. Oh no! But he still passed his ASVAB with flying colors and stuff, and then. During boot camp, two weeks from graduation, he got appendicitis. Oh my gosh. So um, that's we we didn't get to go to a naval uh, boot camp graduation. We drove to the hospital to see him uh, at Great Lakes instead. So we got to see him while he was in boot camp. And unfortunately, they don't just let you recover from that. You're still in boot camp. So he was in boot camp for like four months or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was a long time. So obviously it was so exceptional that he was able to go through all of that and come out the other side. Yeah, he almost got sent home and would have had to start over within a couple of days. Actually, while trying to get back into shape after that, he gave him stuff, stress fractures in his legs, pushing himself to try wow. to get through. But he, he finished it, and um, then he went to uh, to his A school down in Charleston. Sure, sure. Does he have any, do you have any stories about when he was down in that area? Oh, uh, you know, it, it, one of my funny things, you know, cause he's super smart, obviously. Sure. And, uh, I'll never forget as a girlfriend at the time, her car was dead and he had to call me now he'd been through a school. So he is electronic technician. Right. And, uh, he had to call me to ask how to jumpstart her car. And I thought that's, <laughs> that's something that I had shown him, you know, but I'm thinking really, Okay, Dad will tell you how to do it, you know. So we, <laughs> we worked through that. Do you think possibly that he knew how to do it? He just wanted to bring you in on this, this situation? No, I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't think they had any idea. Cause him and his, now his roommate, cause they had a beach house in San Diego, and they came back into port and, or back from their, uh, at sea there. And his friend was an electronic tech, or a electrical mate, EM. So he's an electrician. Sure. And they couldn't find the breaker box in the apartment to turn the power on. <laughs> it's always those little things. Yeah. You know, and you know it's, uh, that stuff is always fun. That was always, yeah. I, 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 I did always enjoy those calls. But no, he was, he was a smart kid. They all, all, the, all them guys are, and girls are smart. They're just amazing people. Getting to spend time with them also and, and seeing how uh, outstanding that, of people they are. What was Bobby like coming up through high school? Did he did he do sports? Did he do anything else? No, he definitely didn't do sports. Um, he enjoyed his computer games. He enjoyed that community. Um, he enjoyed 
spending time with uh, that was his that was his people. Um, he would stop and visit people that he knew from being online and stuff. So that that's that was his thing that he enjoyed. For sure, for sure. So, you know, you were talking about building computers and whatnot. So that that really fed his. You know, that was his itch that you were scratching. Yeah, that, that you know, I I enjoyed the building part and I enjoyed watching him use them and get to for his graduation part present. Um, I built him a, a at the time a pretty top of line gaming PC and then set it up in his room, so he was nice. surprised. Did you play any sort of games with him? I played Call of Duty with him, but then he got out of that and wouldn't play no more. So <laughs> just because you're beating up on him too much? No, he just grew out of that game, and I sure. really don't. I really don't. I'm not a big gamer. You know, I, I enjoy some gaming once in a while, but uh, I'm always running out of time. It seems like. That is adulthood for sure. Always constantly wanting to do more, but you know, running out of time. So I guess kind of getting towards the end of this, is there anything else that you want to talk about, Bobby? Maybe is there more memories that you would love to maybe share? You know, I, I, I think that I just, I, I really want people to know. Families, service people, you're not alone. And, and there are organizations out there um, to help you through it that aren't just the typical sit on a couch and talk about yourself. After getting to talk to Steve from uh, Black Horse Forge and stuff, he's worked with the VA and stuff, and they've done actual brain scans on people and the improvement that, they, that happens through this craft. Um, so he has affiliate forges all over the country. Reach out and... We'll try to find a fit for you. Sure. You know, um, I'm not a veteran, um, but I have the utmost respect for veterans. And uh, I'm hoping in the future to be able to help anybody that's struggling. I know that um, finding this helped me at a time in my life where I needed the community. Yeah. And finding it was truly a blessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, outside of, you know, supporting this GoFundMe and supporting this raffle, is there anything else that if, if someone wants to help you, is there a preferred way that you would like them to contact you or help you? Um, I would say the best way would probably be just to, um, first off, if you're struggling and in, in, in danger, just message me through Instagram or whatever, you know, and I'll, I'll, if I, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Sure. Um, but I, anybody, I would, I truly, if you're hurting, I would encourage you to reach out to the people that you love. They, they will stop everything to try to help you. But um, you can use my email. Uh, links to that are on my, my uh, website, um, bobbreakandcustomknives.com, and all my contact information is there. But uh, share these podcasts. Um, share uh, Tyrell Knifeworks video. Just to try to raise awareness, if um, if you're running a podcast or something like that, you want to speak to me, just reach out and uh, I'll make the time. Absolutely. Bob, again, I want to say thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your experience. It's very touching. It's the, the mental health part aspect to things is something that we don't really talk about a whole lot. And I really feel like there is a lot of gain to be had 
by just simply reaching out to somebody, whether it's a friend, a family member, um, maybe, you know, to anybody and, you know, talk about your feelings, talk about what's going on, and you'll be surprised at just how much it can help. Um, again, Bob, I want to say condolences on behalf of me and the rest of the maker community, and I appreciate your time. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to talk about this and try to raise awareness and hopefully help some other people. I, I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you again. I am here sitting with Dennis Tyrell and Chad Kimmel. And before we get into this part, um, I want to start it off with a little quote that I feel like is a good transition into this conversation and what these guys are doing for Bob. So the quote is from Mr. Rogers, um, look for the helpers, you will always find people who are helping. And I truly feel like the people who are helping when things go wrong are the people who are the best in this world. And you know what, Dennis Tyrell, Chad Kimmel, first of all, I just wanna say thank you for stepping up when you know this all went bad and you guys heard about it, you quickly made this really cool thing happen. So. Dennis, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick, and then Chad, introduce yourself, and maybe you can start talking about what you guys started. Sure. Well, I think a lot of people already know me. Uh, I run Tyrell Knifeworks. Um, Chad pulled me into this, so I'm going to let him take it off. Perfect. My name is Chad Kimmel. I'm with Summit and C. Smithing. Um, just a kitchen knife guy, but... Uh, uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to make some really good friends in this industry. Um, I'll start off with how kind of how I met Bob. Um, like a lot of listeners, my very first kind of delve into the community of knife making was a podcast called Knife Talk Podcast. Yes. And uh, I heard Jeff Fader speak about um, Bob Rakin pretty highly. And um, and I was, uh, I was already making my own Damascus. Um, but... Uh, I was really interested in what Bob was doing, and so I reached out to Bob, and I got to know Bob a little bit, and uh, and we kind of, um, you know, slowly became friends, and uh, you know, we've worked on some projects and stuff together, and he's just, uh, when I say Bob is the best of us, Bob is the best of us. He's, um, he's just got a huge heart, and he's always willing to help, and he's just, he's just one of those guys where you can't help but smile when you're around him, and um, and so anyway, uh, Bob and I became pretty good friends, and. Uh, this year was supposed to be Bob's first year showing at Blade Show. And so um, the Friday before Blade Show uh, is, is when this unfortunate event happened. Um, but Saturday morning, I got a call like 7 a.m. Um, and Bob called me and kind of uh, told me what happened and told me that he talked to Rocco. and uh, I'm sorry, Rocco from um, Rocco Handmade. Uh, and he... Um, Anyway, so Rocco started, uh, uh, and I started talking about what was going on, and, you know, Bob was scared. It was his first year at Knife Show. He didn't know if he was going to have to forfeit his table. He didn't know if um, he was going to be invited back the following year, because if you don't show up for your table, then you can be, you know, it's 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 not a good look. And, and a, a lot of his fears were irrational, because obviously somebody in this situation is not going to, uh, we're not going to penalize them, right? But um, what we decided to do was make it happen for Bob anyway, so... Uh, myself, Rocco, and um, a couple of makers, Nico and, um, uh, and Eric, uh, we all got together and we took turns 
uh, watching Bob's table during uh, during Knife Show. And I had my own table to watch, and Rocco had his own table. We all kind of like took turns um, hovering around Bob's table and making sure that Bob's knives were out there. He shipped his knives down with with Rocco, and um, and that's kind of when this all started. Uh, Rocco had like a little you know a, a book with him where you can sign and write a nice note to Bob and um in kind of the the week that leading up to this I I, I just kept thinking to myself you know we got to be able to do something for Bob and uh you know his son's a, a Navy vet and, and for me that hits close to home because I spent 11 years in the Air Force and um and I've been through my bouts of uh of depression and, uh, and veteran suicide is something that I'm uh really passionate about shining some awareness on. And uh, so I, I decided, I was like, well, um, let's try to do something special. Uh, my, my mentor, the guy that I started learning to make knives from, his name's Dan Graves, and Dan Graves gifted me uh, with some couple of small pieces of, of Tower 2 steel, you know, a couple two or three inch by two or three inch pieces um, of steel that he got from Tower 2, and it was kind of an obscure way that he got it as well. but. Um, I've got all the documentation, everything on that, and so uh, with all my post-9-11 vets uh, who order knives from me, I always forge well the small piece of the tang, um, and it's not something that I tell them about, it's not something I charge for, it's just something I do, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really belong to me, you know what I mean? Sure. And so, um, so it's just something that I kind of do, so I thought it would be really cool if we uh, made a commemorative um, knife that we can, you know, auction off with that, and I'm like, well, Tower 2 feels pretty pretty rare stuff you don't really hear about it much and um and so i reached out to paxton from 5050 forge and we were talking about what kind of pattern we wanted to uh to make and he only lives like an hour and a half from me and so uh paxton and i are, are pretty good friends and um so we were talking about what kind of pattern that we wanted to make so what we what we landed on was we took um we took 22 layers of steel uh and then we layered that 11 times in between 1084. So there's 22 layers, and then every alternating layer is another 22 layers. So it, um, it's kind of an interesting look. A lot of people call it bacon Damascus. Um, but the idea is that 22 veterans uh, lose their lives to suicide every day. And so that's, uh, you know, kind of the symbolic uh, gesture. And so while we were deciding that, I, I reached out to, uh, to Dennis, who, um, speaking of people who do things for people, man, Dennis... Uh, helped me out in a really bad situation. Um, you know, I was going through a divorce and uh, having a really hard time, and Dennis helped me out with a, with a shop to make some knives in, and um, when I moved up to California, and I moved back to Texas as soon as I could, but uh, for my brief stint in California, Dennis was always really there for me and, uh, and helped me out. So I, I reached out to Dennis and told Dennis, hey, here's what happened, here's kind of the um, what we're looking at doing, and is this something you're willing to... Uh, uh, you know, we'll ship you the steel if you want to make a couple of knives. And um, and from there, Dennis uh, kind of took it and ran with it and uh, was able to get some really cool stuff. And um, it was just just really an incredible experience uh, for, from our side, being able to hand it off to, um, to somebody as generous as Dennis and uh, to support my friend Bob, who's just, you know, like I said, he's one of the best of us. So... Um, we got the we got the, went over to Paxton's house. We got the steel forged out, and then we sent it over to Dennis. And from there, Dennis started his uh, his video. Um, Dennis, if you want to tell us about the video, that'd be great. Sure. And when when Chad reached out to me and asked me about this project, uh, 
it was really kind of coincidental because my son works on the USS Eisenhower. He's active Navy. He was already sending me a piece of cable, the arrestor cable, the cable that stops the planes as they land. Um, he was already sending me that. So it was very coincidental that I hear about this project that is about Project 22, about vets. So it really hit me home because my son's Navy too. In the, not quite the same area, like both Virginia, because Bobby was stationed in Virginia, but up in Chesapeake, I worked on the USS Carl Vinson, which is a very similar aircraft carrier than the Eisenhower. So I thought it would be really cool to take a piece of that cable. So, so basically when Chad reached out to me, I, I absolutely said yes. So it was, it was really cool to get, and it was, <laughs> when I got the steel, it was way bigger than I thought. So that's why it turned into a two knife set. But before that, um, you know, th this was all set up kind of talking over the phone and then, and we were going to do this after blade show, but at blade show, it kind of got a bit of a groundswell. We were talking to some folks and, um, Lucas O'Hara from, uh, Grizzly Forge, uh, I guess he was talking with the Warriors Way guys and uh, the Black Horse Forge guys, who were both right beside me uh, at Blade Show, um, talking to them, and he heard about it, found out about it, and that's where the wood for the project came from. Mm. Because he he was involved, and I don't remember what the project was that he was involved with, but the Black Horse Forge guys were the ones that milled some of that George Washington uh, oak when it fell. So it that tree fell. So George Washington, the last tree he ever planted on his Mount Vernon plantation in 1780, uh, the last tree finally fell in November of 2018, 20, 20, sorry, 2019. And the uh, Black Horse Forge guys helped mill some of that and got to keep some of that lumber so uh lucas used some of that for a project and then he had some left over so he donated some of that so i think that's just some really really cool history so he offered that at blade show um just historical stuff you're never going to get your hands on like that tree is almost as old as the united states there are a lot of historical things that are incorporated into this set um, maybe you guys you guys can kind of piece together because there are quite a few things, including a nice little thing that just came up. Maybe now is a good time to really do an itemized list of everything that is going into this blade that is historically significant to both the Navy and America as in general. Uh, yeah, that's great. So, um, so like I said, I, I've got a piece of Tower Two steel that we put in the uh, that we put into the billet. Um, and it's it's a small piece. It's incorporated in the very butt of the building, but it's uh, you know one homogenous piece. Sure. Um, and so uh, so that's really significant to you know any vet. Um, and then just before this podcast happened, I had somebody reach out to me um, and ask me uh, if they could donate a piece of wrought iron uh, that was part of the Statue of Liberty. So that's actually hasn't been discussed yet. Um, so we're talking about it right now for the first time on the podcast. And uh, I think we're gonna make. Um, uh, Dennis is going to make a nameplate or something like that to kind of commemorate these knives in the box that he has um, for, for one of these. Uh, Dave 
Kurdila, Kurdila. Um, he's with, um, nope, that's it. That's his name, Dave Kurdila. Um, but, uh, you know, he's um, reached out to me. And so I think we're going to get a piece of that and, and be able to incorporate that into the build as well, which would be really cool. I'll let Dennis talk about the other two pieces. Yeah, so um, I got a, I took a piece of that arrestor cable from the USS Eisenhower because I wanted some Navy history in this. And then in the video, I forged that down um, and actually make pin material. So the pins on the two knives, so four pins is made from that cable. And then, of course, the liners. We use the George Washington wood uh, as kind of liner material. Just because, yes, it's white oak, and it's, it's just not that interesting visually. It's the history that we wanted out of it. So it looks really good as liner material. And then to follow kind of a navy theme... I wanted blue tiger maple just to represent the waves on the ocean uh, as the handle material. So that's was a conscious choice to pick that. I have to compliment you on that because you know the what Chad was calling bacon Damascus with the 22 layers. It itself has a lot of waves, which is very indicative of the waves of the water navy, and then also that just flows right into that blue wave in the handle and the tiger. Oh my gosh, that's. It, it screams Navy, and I, it's just so iconic, and I really, really appreciate all of the time and effort you made to make that happen. It's yeah. it's really quite amazing you, that you guys were able to pull this off. Visu visually, Dennis did a, an incredible job, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one more person. So Jocelyn Fraser, um, who was the, uh, the lead photographer at Blade Show this year, um, is just also one of those people who's just an incredible person. She's uh, become a really good friend of mine. I actually took them to Waffle House for the first time at Blade. Uh, they've never been to a Waffle House before. And so, uh, listen, if you're going to go, let's go. So um, we, we took them there, which was kind of a fun experience. But she donated the photos. So we've got some professional glamour photos that, uh, uh, that kind of came up. Um, and we just starting to get those posted now. But, um, man, they look, they look really, really good. And Dennis did an incredible job. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. So, this is going to be a raffle, correct? Correct, yeah. So, um, Rocco from Rocco Handmade um, is a, if anybody knows Rocco, he's a great dude, uh, but he's tatted up. And so, he um, he reached out to some of his tattoo friends and uh, tried to see if somebody wanted to make us a, a sticker. And so, we've got, we got a sticker made that's a, a pretty cool looking sticker and so the idea is if you go to bob rankin's website www.rankin excuse me bob rankin custom um you can go there and you can buy a sticker they're 25 bucks a piece every sticker sold gives you one uh you know spot into the raffle and so uh this raffle is going to be for the set so it's both knives um it'll be in a really nice box that dennis is putting together and um and that'll be uh that'll be the raffle Nice. So each, again, you're going to get a sticker for every entry. And I just want to make sure that it is very clear. That's www.bobrankincustomknives.com, correct? That's right. Okay, I will go ahead and put that at the links in the uh, show notes down below so it's nice and easy. Um, it's it's an incredible build, and there's also, of course, Dennis's you know, great video putting it all together. Um, 
before we go ahead and end the show, I just want to give you guys both the opportunity if you have anything else you want to talk about before before we go on, whether it's significance or whether it's something else about this build that really struck home to you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start. So with, with the veteran organizations that are out there, and, and there's and there's so many of them, um, but mental health uh, with our veterans as they kind of get released into the wild is, is kind of an interesting thing. Um, mm. Like I said, I was in for 11 years, and, and you train, and you train, and you train. Um, and it's not all physical training. A lot of it's uh, things things that you don't think about, so um, that civilians may not think about. So one of the things uh, my job was as a logistician at Andrews Air Force Base uh, was planning something called worst case scenario, where we literally had to plan for nuclear incidents. That was something that we had to do. Um, sure. And and so you're planning for certain people to die and and certain people to live, and you're hand picking who lives and who dies. And it's just kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to have to do. Um, I don't know of any civilian uh, jobs that are not related to to DoD or DOJ where you're having to kind of choose who lives and who's and who dies, um, but but your training and your and and this kind of mentality within the military that um, you know when you get out of the military there's there's nothing for you you're gonna flip hamburgers or you're gonna do you know there's there's kind of this this stigma and they 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 prep you for not being able to do um, not being able to function outside of the military and and then when you get out they're done with you and there's you're replaced and. Uh, and there's there's a mental strain with that. Um, I certainly have gone through uh, I've gone through it. Getting a job outside of the military and functioning outside of the military was a really really tough thing for me. And um, and I had you know I I I, I don't love to uh, um, to kind of throw it out there, but I definitely had um, you know a, a suicide attempt. And mm. uh, luckily, I'm still here. Um, but I had, uh, it was a really bad situation. The, and the person that I chose to, uh, to talk to about it kind of threw it back in my face and, um, it was used against me and, and there are, but that's from, from the people that I know and people that I talk to, this is not uncommon. Um, and you know, people aren't, a, it's not a, it's not a healthy thing to do, but it's not a, it's not something that people are typically equipped to deal with. And so I don't put as much blame on the person that I came out to about the situation because um, that's that's a lot to deal with, and uh, and so I don't I don't necessarily blame them, but it's definitely something that when all this comes to light, uh, you know, really hit home on a on a really close level for me, and um, and so any time that I have the opportunity to do something for a veteran or to uh, to kind of shed some light on on such a serious subject. And, and something that um, you know people don't really think about all the time, and it really, I like to take that opportunity and, and help where we can help out. Chad, first off, I want to thank you for sharing what you just shared. That is very, very, you know, that's that's awesome that you're you're willing to put forth that. And um, I guess I just want to make sure that everyone knows. I mean, mental health is something that not a lot of people in our community like to talk about. Um, I know everyone is going through something at some level. So everyone feels like they put out their best. But, you know, if you have something to talk about, if you need to talk to somebody, 
reach out. We all want we all want you to be here. There's there's a no situation where you know you feel your the situation is actually as bad as you feel on the inside. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. Chad, yeah. what is there something that you would suggest if there is someone out there who is feeling in a like feeling down whether it's just a little bit down or really in the depths of it? Is there something that you would suggest that they do, something that they say, something that they talk to or about? Um, I think I think it starts with uh, not necessarily the person. I think it starts with everybody else. Um, I think it starts with um, everybody normalizing the talking about mental health, talking about, hey, man, I had I had a really rough day today. Let's you know, and and being there for people to talk about it because because opening up about those situations is is hard and having uh, an open and receptive audiences um, is the scary part. And so I think I think by normalizing having these mental health conversations and uh, and really, you know, like I said, normalizing that it goes a long way to uh, to people being able to you know open up to you and speak freely. Sure. So so what I'm gathering is. You know, opening up, finding someone that you can confide in, confide in, seems to be your your best advice. Obviously, not it's not a one size fit all situation. Oh, for everyone, for sure, yeah, everyone, right. Yeah, and so, there's and there's programs out there. Um, get involved, talk to other veterans, create community. Um, that's that's my best advice. Wow, that is that is that hits home. That's awesome. I, I hate to do this to you, Dennis, but Dennis, do you have anything to add? Um, just, I mean, it, like I said, my, my son's in active Navy, my stepson, but consider my son. My son-in-law uh, just got out of the Army. So this, and they're both young men, and I, you know, nobody wants this to happen. So anything I can do to, uh, to help, I will do it. Hmm. And that's what we love about you, Dennis. It's it always seems that you know Dennis is that guy. I mean, you know, I appreciate you. A lot of people appreciate you, and I love the fact that both of you were able to step up in this way to make this happen. So, guys, I just want to say thank you for listening to this. I know there's probably a lot of conversation that is hard, and I want you guys to feel free. You know, if you ever have any conversation you want to have with somebody, my DMs are open. I'm sure. There's a lot of people out there that want to see you in this world, and damn it, everyone wants to see you tomorrow, so please be here. I appreciate you all. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Work for it.